Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Greater Alton Church, and I am a giant pumpkin. Happy Halloween, uh, if there's such a, a phrase, I guess. Uh, Good to be with you this morning. My name's Tim, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to have all of you here. Today we're doing a new series called uh, Good News for a Change. Could you use some good news? <laughs> I mean, good news for a change. I would love to have some good news. I mean, if you read the newspaper, watch CNN, even Fox, as fair and balanced as they claim to be, a lot of bad news. I mean, you get the idea the world's going nuts. There's terrorism. Civil, you know, social upheaval right now going on. Lots of violence, rioting. There's wars going on. And I haven't even got into politics. 91% of the political ads you're going to be seeing on the TV during this election, 91% are negative, bad. You say, why? Because bad news sells. Bad news gets your attention. I disagree. I think good news can get your attention too. Yeah, bad news can change everything. I, I agree. You know, and you hear about wars over here and riots over there or something's happened to somebody in a, maybe in another town or something. It's easy to go, well, you know, that's, you know, the good news is, what do they say? How's it go? Uh, no news is good news. And at least I don't, or if it weren't for bad luck. No, that's not, that's another phrase. So it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like we all this news you hear that's bad, you might say, well, at least it isn't happening to me, and that's the, that's the silver lining in all of it. But honestly, there's times when I, I hear, I watch the news, I watch, you know, I mean, WikiLeaks is coming out with something every day, and it's not good. It's not good. Don't you wonder sometimes you go, man, this is, it doesn't really happen to me, so does it really matter? Well, you may not be affected by a war in another country. You may not be personally affected by an earthquake or a tornado somewhere else or somebody, you know, shootings in, a, in the inner city somewhere. It, you may have somehow come through that unscathed. But I got news for you. Bad news will find you and it will change your world. Some of you here, it may not made the headlines, but you had some bad news. You've heard some bad news. And it's, this disappointing news has changed your world. It's changed your life in some way. What are you talking about? Well, for some of us here, maybe you got a diagnosis you didn't want to hear. Maybe your employer said to you something like this, I'm going to have to let you go. Or maybe you've experienced a, a, a split up that you really didn't want to have to begin with. Or maybe a mechanic, as he's wiping off his greasy hands, looks at you and kind of goes, your car's going to need some major repairs and you don't have the money to pay for it. That's bad news. And it's changed your world. Or maybe you get a phone call, whereas I know some families here, there's a family here that, that had to give a phone call to some people and say, he's died. And there was a funeral this week. That really happened. Bad news will find you. And that's that kind of news, you've got to admit, it will rock your world. It will blindside you. It will change things. Could you use some good news for a change? I know I could. I could use it. And see, God has given you and I some good news. There is some good news that exists. It may not play out on TV like the bad news does, and a lot of people may not pay attention to it, but it's clear there is good news from heaven to earth 
good news for you and for me. And that news is Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says here up on, uh, in your notes here. Look what the Bible says about good news. See, good news can change, especially the good news from God. It can change your life. Look what it says here. Good news refreshes the body. What's he saying? I feel good when I hear good news. Don't you feel good when you hear good news? I do. I feel better. It can make or break your day. Look at this passage here in Proverbs 25. Hearing good news is like drinking cold water when you're tired. It's refreshing. It restores you. You can recover. See, good news is powerful. Good news is powerful. It will change. It can change everything. Somebody calls you up and says, you've inherited a million dollars. Tell me if that doesn't change your life. Somebody calls you up and says, uh, your car is fixed. That can change your life. Yeah. Someone, you get some news from a doctor says, hey, listen, you're in remission. Don't tell me that isn't good news that won't change your life. It change, good news can change our lives. And in this series, what I want to do is spend four weeks, four weeks talking about this good news that's in the Bible, especially what we've, been, we've called the gospel, which, by the way, is another word for good news. The gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear. Look at this passage here in Mark 1. Look how it starts off. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the whole book is dedicated to that. In fact, not only Mark, the gospel or the good news of Mark is dedicated to giving the good news. There's also Matthew, Luke, and John. There's four books in the Bible and then followed by the book of Acts and the rest of the letters all talking about how this good news plays out in your life, in my life. Jesus is good news. Jesus is great news from heaven. And I could sure use that. When everything else seems to be just going wacky and going sideways, oh, I could use some good news to reassure me I'm going to be okay. You know, Jesus is in the synagogue. There's a, in Luke 4, Jesus has is is, is been going, He goes back to His hometown of Nazareth. I was reading it, that passage one more time during the Lord's Supper. just really trying to get what, what is this passage about. He goes back to His hometown and while he's there, he's speaking in the synagogues. Now, the synagogues, unlike the temple, the synagogue is a little more low-key, a little more informal. It's like a church building. People gather and hear the Word of God, and there's a lot of teaching going on. And Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue of his hometown. There's a crowd there. They hear he's coming, and a crowd begins to gather because when Jesus talks, they're amazed at what he... They can't believe all the things that he can say and how wise he is at the age that he is. Well, he's the Son of God. He knows everything. And so as he walks into the synagogue, somebody says to him, we want you to talk today. We want you to teach today. And it says that the, a scroll from the prophet Isaiah is given to him. Now he stands up, takes the scroll. That means he's about to read the, read the Scriptures. And he stands up and he starts going through this scroll. I can just imagine. You know, when you're asked to speak at the last minute of things, man, you are desperate. You're like, oh, what am I going to talk about? And you can, here's Jesus, last minute he's asked. He's not desperate. He, he knows every word in the scroll. He's looking, what passage would I share today? Oh, I got, I got one. This one's the one we need to talk about. And he rolls this scroll out to Isaiah chapter 61. And he starts reading these words. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and then he sat down. Now he's sitting down because he's about to teach. What he's about to say is important. He's about to make comment on what he just read. See, today, the preacher stands up and everybody else gets to sit. I guess that's because years ago, the preachers went on and on and on and on. They thought, well, if we got him standing up, maybe he'll get tired and finally sit down. I don't know. Or maybe the crowd got tired. I don't... Why am I talking about that? All I know is that back in Jesus' day, it was the opposite. So when He sat down, everybody stood up. And here's what He says. Everybody's looking at Him. Everybody's got their full attention on Him. And He says these words. Today, this Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He goes, today, what you just... We've been waiting to see happen. See, everybody's been waiting for the Messiah to come. And this here is called a Messianic prophecy in Isaiah 61. So they know this passage. And he's saying, hey, guess what? Today it starts. Today it starts right here with me. And that changes. The tension in the room changes in a nanosecond. Jesus has got good news. And all of a sudden everybody's going, what? what, what?" And some of them are amazed at him. And then someone goes, wait a second. Isn't this the son of a carpenter? I mean, he's got brothers and sisters, doesn't he? Yeah. Isn't he the son of Mary and Joseph? Yeah, I've heard rumors about her. And Jesus, is he can see it. The crowd is all of a sudden just kind of... And he goes, well, um, I, guess you'd, I guess you'd think uh, you would say to me, physician, heal yourself. And then he goes on to say this. He says, look, you probably want me to do some miracles around here, don't you? To back up what I just said. I'm not doing them. Elijah is an example of a guy. There were widows all over the place, but he went to one, one particular widow. And there were lepers everywhere, but he went to Naaman. So I'm not doing that for you. People are furious with him. He's not, he's not telling them what they want to hear. Sound familiar? And they grab him, and they're going to throw him off a cliff. And I don't know what happened. I'm not sure what happened here, but things have sure changed. Went from amazing to let's get rid of him, and they're getting ready to throw him off a cliff. And I don't know. Jesus may have done one of those Obi-Wan Kenobi moments. I know you. You're not going to touch me. We're not going to touch him. Back away. Back away. I, mean, I don't know what he did, but the Bible said he gave him the look. Maybe it was the look that moms give to their kids when they freeze. You know, it was the look. It doesn't say he said anything. And the people begin to get out of his way, and he walks through them like, that's right, buddy. Just try that again. Because this is good news, and you're not going to stop the good news. You cannot stop the good news from heaven. It's the greatest news of all. What makes the good news of Jesus so good? Let me tell you, he says it right here in this passage, Luke 4. We're just going to tear this passage apart and learn some things today. What's the first thing? Well, the good news of Jesus gives hope for the hopeless. Amen. 
Hope for the hopeless. I don't know of any people that feel more hopeless than the poor. They don't have what they need. In fact, the word poor behind this passage, the Greek, the Greek language is so colorful, and that's what this is originally written in, this, this passage in Koine Greek, everyday Greek language. This Greek word means to be hunched over, weighed down by burden as you're begging as you're begging for help. It's a poor person that's weighed down by the worries of this world. The worries of what? They don't have any food. They don't have any shelter. They don't have any clothing. And they're just so burdened by it. Jesus says, I, I want you to know, the good news is going to be preached to the poor. I am going to help people. I'm going to, I'm going to help people and give them hope that are hopeless. And you might look at it, it says there, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now I know you say, was well, he any talking about physical the physically poor? There were poor people around Jesus all the time. In fact, he said you'll always have the poor with you. And did Jesus help the poor? Absolutely, and we should help the poor. Absolutely. But he's not talking about the physical side of in fact, this passage is not really talking about the physical side. He's they're using Things we can identify with to teach a spiritual side. He's talking about people who do not have what they need. They're spiritually bankrupt. They're spiritually poor. They're, they're, they, they're, they're experiencing spiritual poverty. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, he's, he's talking to people who, who, he's saying, I'm going to give good news to people who do not have the understanding they need of me. They, they don't have the hope that they need. They, they don't have the peace and security that they need to have to live. And they don't have a purpose. They're just wandering around. Look what the Bible says here in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4 in the International Children's Bible. God wants all people to be saved. And He wants everyone to know the truth. You know, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. Well, yeah, what, what kind of truth? Well, God loves me? Absolutely. God is for me? Absolutely. But there's a truth I think He wants you and I to know that really will decide whether this is good news or not. And what is that? The truth that He wants us to know is that you and I are spiritually bankrupt. In the spiritual department, we have insufficient funds. In the spiritual department... We're overdrawn. We're busted like a bank account. In the spiritual department, in the spiritual side of my life, my life is empty. And how do you know that? The way you know you're spiritually empty is how hard you're working to put all kinds of things into this empty place. All these different things we're putting in here. Pleasures, possessions, dreams, all kinds of things we're trying to, we're trying to fill this empty place in us that only God can fill. I have a sinkhole in my backyard down at the bottom of the hill. You all know what a sinkhole is. You've seen them on the news. They swallow whole houses. I'm figuring one of these days I'll be walking down there or driving my little tractor and it's going to be gone, you know. Well, what happened to Tim? He's in there somewhere. Like Stranger Things, there's a hole or, you know, What's going on down the underworld there? I don't, it, it just, it just, and I, I have been working on this sinkhole for years. Keep filling with dirt, filling it with rock, 
filling my boys in a little bitty. What is that, Daddy? That's a sinkhole. And I thought, how am I going to keep them away? And I go, there's a little child who used to live here that fell in that sinkhole. <laughs> it kept them away for a while. It looks like a cave. There's a monster in there. And I would, I get a load of, I get a big, I'm talking about a big dump truck. He comes back, dumps it, and then I start spreading it and packing it in. And, and then uh, the big rain, and uh, right now I've got it full. I've got it all filled in, looking real nice. We had a Halloween party, and I had to fill it in because you would have fell in that hole, and we would have lost college students. And how do you write a letter to the parents? Uh, he's with that little boy. I'm filling that sinkhole, and every year it rains hard. Guess get a three-inch rain. Guess what happens? The hole starts, and it's about that big. It always starts that big, and then the next rain bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? This is a sinkhole. Now, some of you here go, I know how to fix your problem. Well, talk to me later, okay? I'm just saying sometimes our heart is like a sinkhole. We keep putting this stuff in there thinking it's going to somehow fill it, and it doesn't. We put things and people and pleasures and aspirations and and money and and more stuff and new stuff and new stuff and hobbies. and And we think it's finally... And then something happens and the hole starts, opens up again. And next thing you know, i got this big hole again. It's like my heart is telling me the truth. Something true about me that I need to know. It's almost like God made my heart this way on purpose so I'd know something that only He can fill that place. That's the good news. Jesus says, I'm here to fill in that hole in your soul. You go ahead and shove that car in there. It'll be gone in a couple of years. Or shove that, that relationship. Shove that pleasure in that hole and see how it's like a square peg. It is not fitting. And the pleasure passes. The possessions rust. The, the aspirations or acclaim or, or awards all fade and end up at a yard sale. And if we're not careful, we're at the end of our life with a, still got this hole. And Jesus says, well, i got good news for you. I can take care of that. You don't have to be spiritually bankrupt. I can make you spiritually rich. I can fill that place. Look what David says. Look how David figured this out. Now just imagine, this is King David. He is a king. What does the king have? A palace? Servants? Sure. Lots of food? Absolutely. Gold? Yeah. Silver? Yeah. He's got fame, fortune. He's got it all. Look what he says. Why am I so sad? I don't know, David. You're a king. You shouldn't be sad. You've got everything. But he doesn't, does he? Why am I so sad? He's asking himself, why am I so troubled? You ever ask yourself that question? Why after working so hard, I've got a nice home, I've got a nice family, I've got a nice car, I've got these things, but I'm still not feeling it. I still there's something missing. You know why? There is something missing. David's like, I got it all, and I'm still troubled what it is. He goes, I know what it is. I need the Lord. I'm gonna put my hope, I'm gonna put my expectation, I'm gonna expect God to fill this empty place. Does that make sense? God can feel that. That's the good news. You empty this morning? You running on empty? And God can feel that. Jesus says, I've come to preach good news to you that are empty inside. 
that are burdened and hunched over and you don't, you, you don't have what you really need and I want to give it to you. That's good news. That's good news. Number two, the good news of Jesus, another reason Jesus is good news is the good news of Jesus can heal my broken heart. You ever had your heart broken? You ever had it? By the way, when he's talking about broken, he's not talking about heart broken in two, in two pieces. He's talking about it being crushed. You ever had your heart crushed? Broken in a billion pieces? Just shattered? My heart's been busted in pieces. Busted in pieces. A phone call. A phone call. One phone call. And it's not broken half. It is crushed. One person. One person. Attacks, criticizes, rejects me. And I'm crushed. Now, I want to say something here. I'm not talking about wearing my feelings. I'm not saying wear your feelings on your sleeves. And You know, I got, I got hurt. You hurt my feelings. I want, and I'm not, I'm not, am I trying to belittle that? Kind of. Yeah. Because sometimes we're, we're wimpy. I'm wimpy. I, 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 not, I don't, how do I say it? I got two granddaughters. One of them is like, like um, Hulk Hogan. Or the Hulk. And the other one's like before he turns into the Hulk. Yesterday I watched my two granddaughters. We had photographs. Chelsea come out and took photographs. You ever get, want to get some good photographs? You ought to hire Chelsea. Man, she just uh, comes out. She has all these creative, creative ideas for your, you know, to pose this way, hold this way. Go, oh, let's go over here. We're just having a ball. You know, I'm behind the, going, looking at Nora will not look. She's always, well, I don't know. I think Nora and Carmody have this thing going. You look and I'll look at the camera and then we'll trade. And that way the picture will always be wrong. Drives us crazy. Well, we're together, and I'm watching my two granddaughters, and they're walking together, and I hear Carmody say, Nora's my best friend. It is cute as... You know, it's like the press conference. Well, now they're walking together, and they're walking, and their hair's dancing, you know, and they're running, and they're walking, but they're heading toward the neighbors, and the neighbors have two Rottweilers in their yard, and they have that, that invisible fence. Well, I, I don't know. I know moms, I watch Brian and I watch, you know, uh, Nicole and Grandma even, they'll kind of like, I'm already, go- I, I catch it, I'm, I'm kind of following them, and they're heading too fast, I'm going, hey, 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 whoa, and I go, Nora, comedy, stop what you're doing, like I was possessed or something, and they go, and Nora looks back at me like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Carmody looks at me and goes, what am I doing? And I'm going, Carmody, Carmody, I'm so sorry. I could, this just broke her heart. She has this soft, soft, and you know, I'm not good at, with this kind of heart. I'm loud. And I'm going, oh, Carmody, I'm so sorry. Grandpa, you know, it's all, and she just looked at me. The eyes are all puppy. And I go, look, look, Grandpa was scared. That's why he said that. That's why he yelled. He was scared. And once she goes, I watched her go, oh, okay. See, I'm, I'm Carmody. I'm a wimp. I'm scared of everything. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
I, I get scared so easily and my feelings get hurt so easily. Anybody else like Carmody? Yeah? Huh? Somebody doesn't wave at us. Oh, I'm never going to church there again. <laughs> really? He didn't look, he looked at me. She looked at me across the room. I know they were thinking something awful. I'm out of here. What? They could have had gas. You don't know. <laughs> well, I, I do the same thing. I look over at you and you look at me funny. What did I do? I must have messed up. Some of you look at me like, who are you looking at? Or some of you just, it never shakes you. I wish I could be like you. Sometimes. No, what, what am I trying to say? I'm saying is some of the things that break our hearts are petty. Jesus isn't talking about something petty here. He's talking about something that just breaks your heart in so many pieces, you're not even sure if you can ever bring it back together. You'll ever be able to put it back together. Look what he says here. I've heard of the brokenhearted. Look what it says in Proverbs 18. The will to live can get you through sickness, but no one can live with a broken spirit. What's he saying? Some of the translations say a question. How do you live with a broken heart? Is it even possible? Studies have revealed that if your heart gets broken, you could die. I thought, come on. But I, it makes sense. You know people have been married 50, 60 years, and one of them dies, the other one dies days later. Why? Their heart is broken. It is just broken in pieces, and they don't even know how to process it. And their body starts releasing these chemicals that affects the heart muscle and stops it dead in its tracks. No. How can you live with a broken heart? It's hard. And I want to say to you this morning, if you've got a broken heart this morning, something has happened. A tragic event has crushed you. Maybe you've failed at something and you've had to give up on a dream you had or something's went sideways and it's just crushed you. You're not even sure if you want to get out of bed or get out of the house anymore because of it. Or someone has hurt you. They have abused you. They have taken your innocence. They have taken advantage of you. They've exploited you. And so your heart is just a million pieces. I want you to know God wants to change the good news to change that broken heart and heal that broken heart. That is transform, transforming. I do not know how I have gotten through, my wife and I, how we've gotten through the last several years, except knowing this verse in Proverbs 34. The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I don't know about you, but when my heart's broke, I feel like everybody's a million miles away, including God. And God says, no, it's not like that, Tim. I am closest to you when your heart is broken. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. What hurts you, what hurts your heart, matters to God. 
It says in Psalms 147, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He wants to heal your wounded heart and they're real deep and they're real wounds. Emotional and mental and they hurt so much you can't move. He says, I want... You don't have to move very far, Tim. Just let me work on you. Just stay still. And let me bandage those wounds. See, the great physician wants to heal your wounded heart this morning. And the way you get it healed... It says, call on Him. In other words, make an appointment. Listen to His diagnosis and remedy. Open your heart to Him. And take His prescription. Use His prescription. This is how you're going to get healed, Tim. This verse has helped Denise and I the last several years that He is close to us. He is close to you. Close to me. I'm telling you, she's been through the ringer. Some of you know what that's like because you've been through the ringer. And I want you to know God wants the good news is He can heal that if you'll just make an appointment with Him and deal with it. Number three, the good news of Jesus is so good because it frees me from my strongholds. He promises that. He promises to free me from my strongholds. The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is with me because He's anointed me to, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. Is He talking about literally like Shawshank Redemption prisons? No, He's not talking about physical prisons. He may include that. What He's really talking about are the prisons that that are inside my, my life, that are, that, that are they're, they're invisible bars that imprison me. It can be a condition. It can be a stronghold. See, Jesus is speaking of something that has such power over me that I, can't, I, can't, I feel like I can't get out. I'm stuck. I'm locked. I'm locked in. I'm enslaved by it. It's like I'm on death row and any minute they're coming to get me and it's going to be over. Paul talks about this this turmoil, this struggle, this stronghold in his life. Romans 7, I call it the Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers passage. I can't believe I got through that. But it says, I do what I don't want to do, and I, what I don't want to do, I keep doing. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, and I don't want to, want to do, what? It's just really confusing. But what he's basically saying is, I want to do one thing, but I end up doing the wrong thing. I want to do good, but I end up doing bad. I really want to do what's right, but I end up doing what's wrong. What's wrong with me? And then he says these words, in my mind, notice that, in my mind, Stronghold. My thinking. In my mind, I'm happy. I'm happy with God's law. I really want to obey it. I want to do what God says. He goes, I can't lie to you. I see another law working in my body. There's another fact. There's something else that's going on, he's saying, which makes war, war, in my mind. 
that makes war against the law that my mind accepts. The other law working in my body is the law of sin. And it makes me a prisoner. He says, there's this fight going on between good and evil inside me. It's like, you know, the demon on one shoulder, the angel on the other, but it's inside me. I want to do what's right, but I I end up, I'm hooked on this, in, in this pattern of just messing it up. I messed up. And he says, it's like a war going on and I'm not winning. I'm captured. Taken alive only to be executed later. It makes me a prisoner. And he says, what a miserable man I am. That's what strongholds lead to. Misery. Lots of misery. These things that get a hold of my mind, get a hold of my body. It can be an addiction of a drug or it can be an addiction to a, an idea or a behavior or another person. They just, for some reason, I end up doing what pleases that rather than what pleases God. Is there something wrong with me? Yeah, there's something wrong with you. You're losing. You're losing. You're a prisoner. And you're miserable. And he says, who will save me? Paul finally asks the great question, who, I can't save myself. I can't do this by myself. Who can help me? Who can save me from this body that brings me death? It's like being on a roller coaster and the brakes are gone. This is not going to end well. Who can save me from this? I can't do it. It's got to be somebody. And he says, I thank God for saving me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, man, the good news is that Jesus Christ is the answer. Let me ask you, do you have a habit that you can't shake? Are you, are you, are you feeling like you're trapped because of a lie or a secret? Everybody found out. Oh, I sure hope that WikiLeaks doesn't release something about me this week. You know what I'm saying? If people knew this, if people knew this, I have this deep, dark secret. I'm afraid. I'm gripped by... Fear is gripping my heart and I'm afraid to open up. I'm afraid to even be social. I'm afraid of life. Are the chains, listen, are the chains, for some of us Christians, shame and guilt is just having its way with us. And are, it, are the chains of shame and guilt holding you down? Stealing your joy? I never can do enough. I can never be enough. It's never enough. Are there thoughts, listen, are there thoughts or ideas that you have that you feel trapped by them so much that you have no confidence? It's taking your confidence. Paul said, nothing good lives in me in Romans 7 because of this fight. His self-esteem is just through the floor. He has no confidence. He has no joy. If that's so, I have good news for you today. Jesus has good news for you today. He wants to set you free from all that. He doesn't want you to be shackled by that anymore. And He says, I want it to start today. It starts with me today. Look at this passage in John 8. 
Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, praise God, you will be free indeed. How's that possible? How does that happen? I think of Jesus like I'm in jail. Let's say I'm in a, a prisoner of war camp and Jesus comes in and he's got... Here's the helicopter lands. Here he comes in. Bang! <clears throat> blows the door open. And he says, come on, you're going home. Let's go. Follow me. Follow me. Oh no, I'm going to stay right here. It's safe in this prison cell. No, it's not. Come on, let's go. Takes me by the hand and gets me out of there. I want you to, that's the image I see when Jesus is setting people free. And the way I get free is I listen to Jesus and I follow Him out of the cell. Amen? Some of you are in a prison cell. He's already blown the door. And He's going, come on, get out of there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel like you can't do anything. You don't have to be gripped by fear or secrets or, or, or this stronghold. Look, the chain, it's broke. Let's go. Let's live with and, and, and be free. Galatians 3.22 says, But the Scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin. So let's just all admit it. We all are prisoners of sin. So that the, and he says, God's promise, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus. And what's believing in Jesus about? It's about listening to Him and obeying Him. Now, if somebody here this morning needs to hear this, he's saying, let's go. Let's get out of this. I'll help you get out of it because I came so you, you could know you don't have to stay in this crap any longer. Number four, the good news of Jesus reveals God to me. He says He's going to recover sight for the blind. That's what He says there in verse 18. Notice that? That He's going to come and, and reco give recovery to the blind, their sight to the blind. Now, I know Jesus cared about blind people. We know He healed blind people. But, you know, He didn't heal all blind people, did He? But we know He healed blind people. But He's not talking about physical blindness here. He's talking about a mental blindness, a spiritual blindness that keeps us from seeing what really is true about God. Look at this. Look what, look what Paul, the Apostle Paul said. He was blind for three days. God struck him blind for three days, but he realizes he was blind a lot longer before that happened. And look what he says here in 2 Corinthians 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. We're blinded by so many things, even as believers. We are blinded by so many things in this world when you stop and think about it. It's like they're blinders. We see, we see a little bit about God, but we don't fully understand Him. Not fully. Because all this stuff in the world is kind of blocking our view. We get caught up in working, raising families. These are good things, by the way. Right? Even good things. And there's so many of them. You guys ever, you ever watch, um, uh, one time, I, maybe it was Saturday Night Live had a parody one time, this just in the newsroom. And as the newsroom's talking, the crawl appears, and then another video appears, and then another thing appears, 
until the, the guy is trying to look between all the stuff because there's, and right now, if you go, you go on CNN, there's the crawl, there's the stock market, there's more WikiLeaks, there's, then there's a CNN emblem, and then there's, and if you've got picture in a picture, you can have a lot of fun then. I always like watching picture a picture of football games with people. I pick some, you know, somebody's watching, it's their team, and I always put the picture in a picture, you can put it anywhere on TV, right in the middle of where he's trying to watch something. What do you, move that! Move that out of the way! Why? I can't see Brady! I can't, I can't see my team! Oh, I see it just fine. But see, that's what does, the world, all these things in the world kind of block out Christ for, for many of us here. What's blocking your view? Think about this. What's blocking your view of Jesus? Jesus wants to take that out of the way so you can see Him clearly. What are you worried about? I'll tell you, that's how I know. Whatever I worry about impedes my ability to see and understand who Christ is about. You know, some people can't see because, because the, the pleasures of this world, they're so focused on them, they can't see Christ. But others who want to find Christ, listen to this, some people who want to find Jesus Christ can't see Him and can't find Him because they're looking in the wrong places. New Age. Dalai Lama. That's not an animal. That's a real person. They're looking into, they're looking into philosophy. They're, they're, looking, they're, looking into, they're looking into world religions or religious-flavored stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. And then they wonder why they can't find Christ. They can't find God in all this. Some people are blinded, and maybe you're one of these people today. You're blinded by your anger, by your pride. Pride's a big blocker of being able to see and understand Christ because we think we already know. I know enough. These people here in Luke 4, they, they're full of pride and angry. They're ready to throw Jesus off a cliff. And pride and anger will do that to you. You can't see what God wants you to see about yourself and about the Lord and how they relate together. Some people are blinded by what TV media and TV and media or the internet. Uh, listen, they're, they're blinded by what preachers say and churches say. You say, Tim, you just disqualified your whole lesson and you were doing so well. No, you don't understand. Listen, I am not the person that studies for you. You're to investigate this yourself. And how many people don't even bother to read the Bible? And they've got a view of the Bible, and it's, it's critical. And they've yet to read it. Really read it. I, I, I would encourage you. I took a six-year sabbatical away from Christian books because they were killing me. Wait a minute, Tim. You mean secular books? No, I mean Christian books. Do you mean secular books too? Well, I didn't read them either. But I was reading Christian books. Everybody, goes, oh, you gotta read this book. Read this book. Real good book. I get more confused. My eyes started crying. I mean, my mind was all. I'm going. I took a six-year sabbatical and said, I'm just going to read the daily Bible. Well, Tim, you need to re- keep up speed and read other what people are saying. I think that's been my problem sometimes. I just needed to wash out my my mind all this. Stuff from all these different guys. This is the secret to church growth. No, 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 no. This is the secret to church. No, 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 no. They're both wrong. I know the secret of church growth. And I'm going, I don't think any of you know. And I've learned that it isn't church growth I should be focused on. I should be focused on me growing. 
And so I started just reading my Bible. I just, I have just, I'm in my third Christian book last two months. I've started reading Christian books. I'm being very careful. I don't want to go through that again. What are you saying, Tim? I'm, here's my sixth or seventh time through the Bible, and I'm actually, I'm understanding it. I'm understanding it. It's put it in perspective. I'll give you an, I'm going to give you an example here in just a minute. I'm going to give you an example. What are you trying to say to I'm saying study it on your own. The Bereans studied the Scripture to see if what the Apostle Paul said was true. We call that the Berean challenge years ago. And what we used that for in a study was, we want you to study the Bible every day, so start reading the book of John. No, you know what they should be reading, folks? What you just said to them. They should be studying out and, and pointing them in a direction. Here, look at these scriptures we just looked at. I want to ask you to make a commitment to be a lifelong learner of the Bible. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. You say, I'm not very good at reading. Me either. No, Tim, you're pretty smart. I'm, wait a minute. You're pretty smart too. I'm not a very good reader. I don't read fast. I have to read things over and over and over again. You probably notice in my sermons I repeat myself a lot. Why do you think I do that? I need to. I, there's times I, I have to read again and again and again and again. And, I, and by the way, I'm not saying read big chunks, just little pieces at a time. So I understand that that's a challenge. But you know, it's so important... If I'm going, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, if the good news is going to help me get my sight back, I've got to look at the good news. I've got to read it. Now, maybe you don't have, maybe you're not blind, but things are a little blurry for you. I'm sorry, these are reading. Oh, there. Now you're clear. See, when I put these on, you're all blurry. I just assume you're out there. Okay. But sometimes things are a little blurry. I want you to know Jesus can take care of blurry vision. He's good news for that too. He wants to reveal what God is exactly like to you. His exact likeness. And that comes when I read it. When I study I look at it on my own. Number five, and this is the last one. The good news of Jesus recovers what I've lost. That's why it's good. It helps me recover what I've lost. What a strange... You know, I've looked at this passage and I noticed all these things. Sight to the blind. Prisoners set free. Good news to the poor. I thought, wow, that's, that, those are great points. Then there's this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Huh? What? To proclaim the year of... Tim, I'm, the good news is proclaiming a year. A full year of the Lord's favor. Well, let's see, favor... I think of the word love. I think of the word mercy. But this word favor has more than love and mercy. It's, the, it's also connected with it the word help. The year of the Lord's help. I'm going to help you. Help me do what? Get back what you've lost. What's he talking about here? This year of favor. He's talking about an Old Testament event and practice called the year of Jubilee. What is the year of Jubilee about? Well, it's about, it's about getting back what you've lost or how you've lost it. For example, when, when the Israelites went into the promised land, they were given land to live in. They were, it was given to them. It was a gift. 
But over time, over a period of years, land would change hands because some guys, they would, they would need extra money and they didn't have money to pay the bills, so they would sell a chunk of land and pay the bills. Or sometimes they'd have to sell the whole farm. Sometimes the debt was so high, they sold the whole place and themselves. I come with the farm and I'll help you. That was slavery. Every 49 years, this would go on for 49 years. At the 50th year, it was called the year of Jubilee. In that time, the land God would help, would help the Israelites get everything square again. Get all the land back to where the original owners. Now, how did he do that? Well, you'd, you'd find out who, who, who owned that land. Okay, it needs to go back to them. But there's some debt on this land. So the person who originally owned it had to pay for it. Had to pay the debt off. Here for years, there's an example of reading my Bible and not reading commentary so much. Leviticus 25 says that somebody has to pay the rest of the debt to get the land back. And if the owner, the original owner, cannot pay it, then it goes to a relative or someone else to pay for it. The, the, the bill isn't just canceled. Like we would think of, by the way, if somebody paid your, by the way, if somebody paid your mortgage or your car off, how would you feel? My cell phone is paid off! Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, they're that expensive now. But imagine that. That's what's really going on here. Somebody pays off the debt that you owe and you get it back. I can't pay it. Somebody has to pay for it. It isn't canceled. The debt has to be paid by someone. I think I've made that point clear. So in the year of Jubilee, all these people would go, I can't pay the debt. So well, do you have anybody that can pay the debt? No, I don't have anybody that can pay for the debt. If you don't have anybody to pay for the debt, get, if you can't pay for it, and they can't pay for it, you're going to have to sell yourself as a slave to pay for it. You see, if I can't pay this debt off, I'm going to be a slave to whoever owns it the rest of my life. Or until the debt is paid. Where's this going? Jesus is saying, i got good news for you. See, you have a debt. The debt has come from sin. And you can't pay it. And it's got to be paid. I can't cancel it, but I can pay for it. And I'm the, I, Tim, am the original owner of the land. And I can pay for it. I can buy you back. I can pay it in full. And that is good news. It's like a note burning party. If, if you're, if you pay off your house, you invite all your friends and you Burn the note. I'm debt free. Even if you didn't pay for it. Somebody else paid for it. You have the party. That's what the year of Jubilee is about. It's a celebration of God paying your debt. Now again, I want to ask you. If somebody paid off your house, would that be good news? Somebody pay off your car, would that be good news? What about the greatest debt you have now? The biggest debt that you have. Would that be great news? i got news for you. The greatest debt you and I owe is the debt for our sin. Can we pay it? Yeah, with our death. 
The wages of sin is death. We could pay for it with our death, but Jesus says, oh, no, no, you're not going to pay for it that way. I will pay for it with my death. Praise God. Praise God. Look, it says here, realize in 1 Peter, realize that you weren't set free from the worthless life handed down to you from your ancestors by a payment of silver and gold which can be destroyed. Rather, the payment that freed you was the precious blood of Christ. Somebody has to pay for the damages. And if I can't afford it, and I can't get anybody else to afford it, then I'm going to go to jail. Or how does it, how does it, Somebody said it this way. Look, if you can't pay for it, we're going to take it out of your hide. What does that mean? Your life? Jesus says, no, Tim, you're not paying for it. You see what? Paying for my sin is death. That is bad news. Jesus says, let me give you good news. I will pay for that with my death for you. And that is good news. Look at this last passage as we close. The good news shows how God makes people right with Himself that it begins and ends with faith. You want to know something? I want to tell you something this morning. You know, you need some good news. I want you to know God wants to give it to you. But for it to really be good news, it's not believing an idea. Believing an idea is not what Jesus is after. He's saying, believe in Me. Jesus says, you believe in a person and you'll be made right with God. It begins with your faith and ends with your faith. In other words, good news really isn't very good unless I believe it. Unless I accept it. I want to encourage you this morning, as you look at your card this morning, I don't know where you are. Is your heart broken? Are you blinded by things? Are you, do, you, are you, do you see the poverty of your, your spiritual poverty this morning? Is pride keeping you from seeing the Lord? Is anger keeping you from seeing the Lord? Is your heart so broken you don't know where to turn? Can I tell you, turn to the Lord. Turn to Jesus. He came to heal the brokenhearted. That is awesome news. Maybe you're going, you know, Tim, I, where do I start when it comes to having faith? Where do I start? It starts with the Bible. Maybe it starts with a Bible study with someone. Let's get with somebody. Let's, can we look at the Bible and see what? how does God make me right? What did He do to make me right? What is this death? Tim said something about His death paid for my debt. How does that work? Why not get in the Bible with someone and see how it works? Because it does. Maybe you've got something this week that's happened to you that's just, like I say, busted you, hurts you, discouraged you. Why not let people pray for it? That's what that card is about. Writing a prayer request or a decision you've made. And let people pray. We have a team of people that pray over those cards. Let me tell you how it works. Our prayer ministry gets those cards and they get three or four of those cards, five, and they pray for you if they've got your card every day this week. They don't call somebody up and go, guess what this person said on their card. That doesn't happen with our prayer ministry. You know who they talk to? about your stuff on your card, they talk to the Lord, not someone else. Prayer is powerful. It is so powerful. Tap into that. Use that. Take advantage of that. Let, let, let people help you this morning. We're going to sing a song and give you a chance to fill out that, that card and then we're going to sing another song and take up those cards along with our contribution. 
And we pray. I, I just want to say to you again, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming. If this is your first time here, you can get a free CD of this lesson after church at the, at the Welcome Center. Or you can listen to other sermons we have online at greatoldchurch.com. So, um, again, thank you for coming. May God bless you. What an October day. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy being with your family. But also, make a commitment that you're going to listen in this series and believe the good news, because it is great news from heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for, uh, for Jesus coming and fulfilling this passage, this, this passage from Isaiah, I think almost 3,000 years ago. Isaiah penned those words that the Messiah would come. And Lord, Jesus comes and just says it's happening and it's going to happen with me. And Father, I pray that this morning that you give some hope to some people who are in situations where they feel it's hopeless. Father, I pray for some of us here whose hearts have been shattered and broken. Please heal. Heal our broken hearts, Lord. Heal our broken hearts. And Father, I pray for people here today that have a habit or a hang-up or a stronghold, an addiction, whatever it be, to an idea, to, a, to a ha- any kind of destructive habit, Lord, that You'll free them from that stronghold. Let it begin today, please. And Lord, help us see You clearly. Let the good news reveal to us in this series how good You are, how much You love us, how great the cross is, how good heaven will be. And Father, I pray all that t- today... Some of us here, we've lost some things. We've lost hope. We've lost confidence. We've lost joy. We don't have salvation. Father, help us recover these lost things. Help us do this, Lord. Let Your favor help us. And may we listen to You and believe. Believe the good news. And be free. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.